my friends, when I was in seminary, we had uh, something at the Mount called Mount 2000. It's a wonderful high school uh, retreat for uh, young uh, men and women to come uh, to the Mount, over a thousand each uh, winter, right around the Super Bowl. And we have uh, just wonderful uh, fraternity, some great uh, praise and worship, uh, and some beautiful uh, liturgies and adoration. We always had some excellent speakers, and I wish I could remember who um, gave this particular talk, but he had a very powerful demonstration. He asked one of those high schoolers to please come up onto the stage that had been uh, built. We were gathering in Mount St. Mary's uh, basketball arena. And he came up onto uh, the stage and uh, the speaker gave him this giant ball of string. And he took one end of the string and he asked this kid to go all the way to the other side of the arena. He's unwinding the string as he went along and then he told him, go up into the stands. And so he did come forward towards me and then he crossed over to the other side and he did this for a number of minutes while he's holding on to the end of the string and this uh, there's a lot of string out by this point and he told the kid to finally stop and he says imagine that this string represents eternity we don't have forever right could have asked you to keep going but imagine the string represents eternity he took a pair of scissors out of his pocket and he got to the very edge of this little frayed end that he'd been holding on and he cut off the smallest little piece, little fuzz at the end of this string. And he says, imagine that's eternity and this little puny uh, piece of fuzz that has fallen down to the stage floor is the length of our life. You know, I think that was a very powerful, at least it was for me, a powerful image. For today, my friends, here in the church, we're kind of making a pivot. We're turning as we're entering into the last stretch of our liturgical year into the four last things. Death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And we will be reminded today and throughout this time, and really all the time, that our life matters that the choices we make during our life do have consequences. How we live our lives do in fact have eternal consequences. Today we are presented with two stories, both involving, involving seven brothers. In the first reading from 2 Maccabees, seven brothers and their mother are tortured to death for refusing to eat pork. They refuse to violate the Jewish dietary laws. In the Gospel, we have another difficult story of a woman who marries each of seven brothers while sadly remaining childless. Today, we are reminded that love is fundamentally rooted in the cross. That, my friends, our Lord's cross is the greatest love story. For to love is to wish the good of the other. To love is not about me, it's about the other. These two stories continue the narrative that we have been on. Three Sundays ago, we were called to persevere in prayer, to persevere in our spiritual journeys. Two weeks ago, we were called to pray with humility, to live humble lives. 
Last Sunday, we were called to act in total trust. Trust in God's plan. We were called to be vulnerable to his plan. And like Zacchaeus, to allow the Lord to even use our weakness, our short in staturedness to bring about tremendous grace. You know, on Tuesday, of course, we celebrated the church triumphant, those in, in heaven on All Saints Day. Wednesday, of course, the church suffering on All Souls Day, those who are being purified in purgatory. And today, we celebrate church militant, all of us who are struggling to work out through God's grace our salvation. Today, we are reminded of the reward, eternal life, the beatific vision, total peace and joy. We are reminded that our struggles in this life are ultimately totally worth it in and through faith. My friends, we are in our lives, throughout our lives, to witness to the love and mercy of God. But we are, of course, made in his image. Therefore, we are to witness to his sacrificial love. And the reality of the resurrection is what helps us persevere in this life, especially when things are difficult and confusing. You know, a few years ago in the Washington Post, they had an article on Holy Saturday of all days. It was titled, Must a Christian Believe Literally in the Resurrection? Well, yes, uh, we must, but evidently there are Christians that don't. Pope Benedict so beautifully said that if the truth of the resurrection were taken away, we could still piece together from Christian tradition a series of interesting ideas about God and mankind, about our being and our obligations, a kind of religious worldview. But the Christian faith itself would be dead, he said. Jesus would simply be a failed religious leader who despite his failure remains great and can cause us to reflect but he remains purely human, not divine. And therefore, his authority would extend only so far as his message is of interest to us. My friends, if we don't believe in our Lord's resurrection, then we can go on living life as we please. Perhaps we can appreciate and even admire the example of Jesus. We can put into practice his teachings but we can also set aside those teachings we disagree with and those that make us uncomfortable because he would not be who he said he is, literally God in the flesh. However, of course, if we do believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that changes everything. And we cannot then set aside his teachings because someone who has demonstrated the power to rise from the dead has authority. And what he says then demands a response. And our response is bolstered by the reality that Jesus' resurrection points to the reality of our own resurrection through faith. Please, God, we will not have to endure the kind of persecution the mother and her seven sons endured in the first reading. But we all, we know this, are facing challenges, will face challenges during our life's journeys.
can thrive only if we keep our eyes on the prize. Only if we keep our eyes on our inheritance. Our inheritance is Jesus Christ and eternal peace and joy with him in heaven. While we may struggle at times, of course, we are called to believe, as the psalmist sang, that our joy will be full when our Lord's glory appears. We are all being called to embrace and believe St. Paul's words, that God loves us, that he encourages us, that he is our hope, that he is faithful always, that he is the source of our strength and will guard us from the evil one. We must, as he says, be confident, humbly confident in the movement of grace. Along the way, of course, we may suffer, but like the young men in the first reading, while difficult, we must, we too must regard our sufferings as nothing when compared to the glory that awaits us in faith. Along the way, we are tempted by many distractions, many goods of this world, those shiny little objects that distract, but we must keep our eyes principally on the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit and the church to guide us each day. The resurrection will not be a return to earthly life as we know it now. It will be an entry into an everlasting glory free from all suffering and death. It is a completion of Christ's victory over sin and death. And it is ours, my friends, through faith. And I was reminded, uh, not that I saw this when it first came out, but a, a Twilight Zone episode. It's entitled, A Nice Place to Visit. Of course, it's an all black and white, right? And you see this man, he's uh, seen robbing this pawn shop. Then Rod Sterling, you hear his voice, he says, Portrait of a man, the only work he's ever done, the only work he knows. His name is Henry Francis Valentine, but he calls himself Rocky, because that's the way his life has been. Rocky and perilous and uphill at a dead run all the way. He's tired now tired of running or wanting, of waiting for the breaks that come to others, but never to him, never to Rocky Valentine. And then you see in this scene that Rocky is shot by the police. A scared, angry little man. He thinks it's all over now, but he's wrong. For Rocky Valentine, it's just the beginning. And then Rocky wakes up, seemingly unharmed, and he's greeted by a guy named Mr. Pip, this old man. Mr. Pip has been instructed to give Rocky whatever he desires. At first, of course, Rocky's a little suspicious and he struggles to trust this old guy. But Mr. Pip shows Rocky an apartment in which everything in it is free, it's his. Rocky does start to relax a bit. He changes into one of the expensive suits in the closet and a beautiful meal is brought to him. But he remains suspicious, and he demands that Mr. Pip taste it first, thinking it might be poison. Mr. Pip refuses, claiming that he has not eaten for centuries. 
Rocky's a little puzzled, so he shoots Mr. Pitt. But his bullets have no effect. Then Rocky realizes that he is dead. And he concludes that he is in heaven, and that Mr. Pip is his guardian angel. And since he can't have anything he wants, according to this old guy, Rocky asks for a million dollars and a beautiful woman. Both requests are instantly gratified. Rocky visits a casino and wins every bet he makes. He's surrounded by beautiful women. But you know, within a month, Rocky is bored. He's bored with his whims, all his whims being instantly satisfied. He wins every game at the casino. Women do anything he wants. So Rocky asks Mr. Pip for a challenge. He wants a risk. He wants the risk of losing. Mr. Pip says, well, perhaps I could arrange it for you to lose periodically in the casino, or maybe you could go rob a bank. But uh, Rocky realized that there would be no thrill in any of this uh, when the outcome would ultimately be known. Realizing he'd go crazy if he stayed in heaven any longer, Rocky asks Mr. Pip to take him to the other place. Mr. Pip says, heaven? Whatever gave you the idea you were in heaven, Mr. Valentine? This is the other place. And now, horrified, Rocky rises in vain to open the now-locked apartment door and escape his so-called paradise as Mr. Pip laughs uncontrollably. A scared, angry little man who never got a break. Now he has everything he's ever wanted, and he's going to have to live with it for eternity in the Twilight Zone. You know, my friends, our life's journey and the choices that we make along the way do, of course, matter. Imagine like Rocky having all our desires fulfilled, yet remaining miserable. Miserable because the stuff, uh, any sort of power and influence that we can have cannot satisfy, cannot fulfill us. You know, my friends, it's not likely that we'll be happy or satisfied in heaven unless we're already, right now, spending some time with the person, the divine person, that we will perfectly encounter there. Trying to pursue the deepest desire of the human heart, union with God. For when we truly love the Lord and in faith embrace his will and not our own, heaven does await us. And heaven is an amazing place. It's beyond imagination. The closest clue we have to what heaven is like is Holy Mass. For heaven is not really about a place, is it? It's not so much about what we will do there either. It is more about a person, the divine person, and our relationship with him, our intimate, total union with Jesus Christ. Mass gives us a taste of heaven, for it is there, it is here, that we come to give praise and glory to the divine person we will be with in heaven for eternity. So I'll end with a question. 
Why were the men in today's gospel called Sadducees? Because they didn't believe in the resurrection. So they were sad, you see. May none of us go sad, you see, tonight. May we all embrace the reality of the resurrection and then live our lives accordingly. And may God be praised. Amen.